right, here we go. It's not awfully Irish today. What's it called, Paddy? <laughs> well, rather than three peas in a pod, right? We're three beanies in a podcast. How does that sound? It'll work. <laughs> so today we're joined by Paddy Slattery. And a bit of a weird backstory with yourself. Um, I think the first time we ever seen you, you were doing a talk in our school. We were like second years, little, little young'uns. And I think Jared Walsh was there, if you want to check out that episode. Um, you, gave, you gave a really inspirational talk and it, it stuck with, with me till now. And maybe want to do film, but then didn't get the points. So I'm doing media, <laughs> thanks to yourself. Um, yeah, dude, you're, fu- you're a fucking inspirational, Ooh, inspirational guy. <laughs> Well, I, I must have inspired you because when I done that talk, I was dropping F-bombs left, right and center. <laughs> so I see it stuck with you all those years later. <laughs> well, so, so it was in the tech. We call it the tech, Oakland's Community College in Edenary. Yeah. So yeah. you boys were in the same class, where he is? We're in the same year. I don't think we were in the same class for a couple of things. Yeah. Right. That's mad. So what year was that? 2017, was it? We said around 2017, 2016 would have been. That wow. kind of time, yeah. Ah, lads, you're only kids. They're still only kids, for God's sake. Well, then, so, well, fair play to you for even remembering that talk. Was it um, Blonded Purcell, or no, Blonded Ryan, who um, invited me in that time? She's a teacher there. Yeah. Oh, I don't right. think she's in that school anymore. Right, right, right. <laughs> No, because when I was in there, I didn't recognize anyone from the time I went there. But, geez, I haven't gone to school there since 94 or 5, maybe. Fado, fado, a long time ago. Been a minute. You you, were barely a twinkle in your parents' eye, even at that stage. (laughs) You weren't even born, lads. Ah, for God's sake. And here he is, Aaron, now with nearly a better beard than me at this stage, Aaron. Ah, come on. What's in the water out there in Eden Dairy? Because the water fucking out- lime scale, <laughs> fucking lime scale, dude. The water out here, like you're making a cup of tea and you're getting a little pincer out to take out all this bits of fucking lime scale. It's rough. So we're three coaches. And, and we are. Thomas is from Road. You're from Eden Dairy. Eden Dairy. Yeah. Eden Dairy. Jenny Mac lads. And you're from so, Blog, is it? Clonbalog, the city of Clonbalog, yeah. Lincoln, you'll miss it. A fine city. Um, but <laughs> you know the thing about this, before the highways and byways were built during the Celtic time, um, Clonbalog geographically was interestingly positioned because a lot of people used to have to travel through here, going from north or south or east to west. So there's a lot of famous people who would have wandered through this village uh, on different stops. Uh, I know there's one famous one where, um, oh, this is going way back. Uh, before I was born, Oliver Cromwell went through here and had his horses shod in the forge down at, uh, down at the bridge. But um, I remember as a kid in 88, Michael Jackson was touring in Ireland and he, he was doing a, a concert in Cork. But his tour bus came through Clonbalogue, the village. Was all blacked out and there was a sort of a concave of cars going through and then rumors spread very quickly that it was actually the michael jackson bus that went through the village here so uh yeah that's as close as michael jackson got to me <laughs> wow 
or I got to Michael Jackson one or the other. But listen, I, I have to say, and I know that it's a controversial figure now, but I always was a massive Michael Jackson fan. Uh, always right up to the end, but tragic how it all turned out. But anyway, I, I digress, sorry. You hardly seen that documentary they made about him, did you? Uh, no, I don't look at the... the, the documentary, whatever way you want to call it. No, I, I don't watch them, to be honest, because because I was such a fan of Michael Jackson and I watched one or two documentaries in the early 2000s and realized how how badly researched they actually were and how, how uh, I guess, tabloidy they, they were. They were tailored for particular uh, stories. And I sort of lost faith in them. And, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, he was a human being that had a sort of a tragic outcome. Uh, he was probably psychologically damaged from a childhood. So I don't know whether he was innocent or guilty. One thing is for certain, he was a genius artist and an incredibly disturbed human individual. So he's the, he's the sort of product of our times, you know, um, so it's easy for me to sit back and point the finger at Michael Jackson for being a, a weirdo or a, a nonce. But when you look at his upbringing, you can see um, you can see yeah. how he would turn out that way. You know what I mean? It's quite tragic. Yeah, he, he's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, oh, big time. I actually had um, I had VIP tickets to his concert there in the O2 in London, uh, and then of course he tragically died before he got to do them. So I was kind of sick. <laughs> I would have got to meet him actually backstage, which would have been cool. But oh well, never happened. Such is life. I said those tickets are actually worth something now. Yeah, they were crazy. I won't even say what I had to pay for them, but I was thinking this is probably the last time you'll ever see the man. Mm-hmm. And of course, as it transpired, it was definitely uh, his day was up. Like, but um, yeah, to get a just you know, there's certain people. I don't do the celebrity thing. I'm not a, I don't follow the trends in the celebrities, but there are people sort of iconic figures that inspire me. And um, I was very lucky to get to see Ennio Morricone. You know, Morricone who done the musical scores for the big spaghetti Westerns of, of the seventies, the sixties and seventies. And he done, he scored so many brilliant movies over the last 50 years. And I got to see his last concert in Dublin and a few months later, then he died. And uh, it's sort of like being in the presence of, of God, you know what I mean? It's just it's like an extraordinary human. But uh, have you ever, is there anyone you idolize like that that you've ever aspired to go on to see or, or seen? Or... Other than me now? Nah. You beat me by a second, man. I was literally about to say, Paddy Slattery. Um... There, there was one guy and we had him on the show way too early and I regret it every day uh, Jack Horner he's doing this massive like science experiment called the Dino Chicken Pro- Pro- the Dino Chicken Project and the whole idea is he uses atavistic genes in chickens to bring out more dinosaur like characteristics in them to see how close we could get Really? so you know like people can be born with tails it's like turning that on the gene that would give you a tail he does that with a chicken well, what would give them a, a snout rather than a beak? What, wow. what changes the way their hands work? What gives them like actual like claws? Shit like that. We talked to him, but we were so uneducated about it. 
Really? It was like he watched Jurassic Park and then talked to like a scientist. It was it was that bad. <laughs> but like him, um, that's kind of it for me. Really? And would you even consider maybe bringing him back on at a later I date? have asked. That's... And I don't think that guy will ever talk to us again. Really? Because <laughs> oh, at the time we were like 18 and we were fucking idiots. Uh, well, look, Still you're 18 for God's sake. You're learning. Yeah. Still are fucking idiots. But, you know, we're, we're yeah, less but, like, fucking idiots. We've done 200 and something episodes. Like, you think we figured something out. Really? 200 episodes? How long have you, How long has this podcast been going? Uh, year and a half. Nearly a year. Barely, nearly a year, year and a half. Wow. So, like, I know you said... I kind 260 of... episodes? 270? Wow. So, so, what inspired you to be podcasters? I know you kind of mentioned that I might have inspired you in the talk, and I, I appreciate that. But podcasts, why podcasts? Well... I don't know if it was really just kind of like podcasting. It was more like it was towards like the very start of COVID, man. And it was us, and it was our other friend as well. Then who's kind of he's he left he's because he uh, he's gone on to study marine biology in Galway. He likes fish. And he's just very busy. The whole big fish fan, you know. He had he had lobster once, and you know, based watch Nemo around it, you know. But, uh, <laughs> Loves Ellen DeGeneres. Watch finding Dory once, you know. But uh, yeah. You know, but it was more like kind of keeping ourselves entertained, and you know, at the at the time it was just the three of us, and we were kind of just playing video games all day. And we said, "Might as well do something kind of productive." And at the start of it, we didn't know what it was. It was more just kind of three friends just chatting, mad there for three hours and putting it up on YouTube, and then turned into more inviting people on the show, getting to chat to cool people. You know, nice, nice. And it's just kind of world whatever this is so welcome still yeah. figuring it out well, will we know, ever i just had a conversation with john connors there earlier today and you know the way john and tiernan williams have set up their podcast at uh, mm. cluster fox and what i love about what they're doing and it's kind of like what you're doing as well the kind of it comes together almost organically it's not like you're coming in like a cynical business going to say right we're going to take over the podcast industry and we're going to tick off all the boxes of what needs to be done as a podcast. But what you guys are doing is, 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 is come together in a sort of a natural kind of way and it'll snowball hopefully and evolve into something who knows where you could end up. But I, I like that idea where it come, you know, is are drawn together for the right reasons for your is are inspired by conversation and maybe interesting people and, uh, and people like myself, I love listening to podcasts and people like us, come to podcasts for that reason we don't want to be sold the next album or the next movie or any of that shite you know what i mean it's um yeah you'd rather have like our manscapes stuff over here and our yeah, two buddy yeah, stuff yeah, over yeah. here yeah. you don't want the yeah you know what i mean that kind of thing goes hand in hand as well i mean you rely on sponsors to finance the product but if it, it once it sort of remembers what it is and it doesn't turn into a commercial a three-hour commercial you know that kind of way I'll tell you, I'll give you an example, right? You know this show on YouTube where the Hot Wings Challenge, where this guy is interviewing these, that started off with, with the great spirit of people just sitting in front of this guy and eating hot wings, and you see their reaction, and they're trying to talk throughout it. And then it became this huge corporate fucking vehicle for celebrities who are flogging their wares, you know what I mean? And yeah. I can't stand watching it now because it's so fucking rehearsed. It's all now in a big, huge studio in LA, and it's all... It's, you can see through it a mile away. Who gives a fuck what Taylor fucking Swift is talking about? Honestly, who gives a shit? 
bring on real human beings, have a natural conversation, and that's what we like. And that's why that's why Joe Rogan and the likes of Joe Rogan are the most popular voices in the world right now because it's unfiltered and it's honest. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I used to watch him, and I, I kind of stopped because every episode became very similar. But if you go and walk watch his uh, his catalog, holy shit! But like he, he started off terribly. Like I, I feel like we might have even started a little bit better than he did, <laughs> um, because his yeah. first one he didn't know he was recording. That's true. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was, I was dipping in from the very beginning of, of the Joe Rogan podcast, and and it wasn't just Joe, but there was a lot of others at the time, and it's. Uh, but you look at it now, and I, I do agree, Dave. Like, I, I don't watch every podcast, but maybe one out of every seven or eight, there's just a fascinating human being that comes on and just blow your mind for, like, like uh, what's his name? Graham Hancock. You know Graham Hancock for the, the archaeologist guy. who's... Yeah. ...talks about <laughs> his ayahuasca trips and that kind of stuff. It's fucking mind-blowing stuff. He thinks there used to be a civilization that got wiped out? Yeah, yeah. There, I think one of his books is about... An America that once existed that has been completely written out of the history books. Um, fascinating stuff. I love listening to uh, whenever he has Brian Cox on, man. I'm a big Brian Cox fan. I love listening yeah. to him. Thomas loves Cox. Fair play to him. Yeah, big, <laughs> yeah, huge, yeah. Huge, huge. You know who I cannot stand? He's, he's, he's the most arrogant narcissist <laughs> I've ever seen. What's his name? That... The Grass Tyson. <laughs> yes, that's the fucking narcissist. <laughs> I, I love that you knew him, just, just from that. Neil deGrasse Tyson. I've never heard a guy love the sound of his own voice so much. And he, he always cuts Joe off. And then you can see Joe getting more pissed off as the podcast. So. <laughs> Cannot stand the guy. Because yeah. all of the, his information is secondhand information tailored for a mainstream audience. That's why he is. He's a shill. And you can tell him I said that, lads. <laughs> you know, yeah. He's a big fan of the podcast, like yourself. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. you know, he, big shout out, Neil. You know, Paddy <laughs> might not be a fan, man, but you know, you keep talking yeah. like that, man. Neither will I. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've you're, you're closer to that world than we are. Like, mm-hmm. have, you, have you had to deal with people a bit like Neil? The which, sorry? I said, you're closer to that world than we are. Have you had to deal with people like Neil before? Like arrogant oh, actors oh, and oh. shit like that? Narcissists. <laughs> you do well. You know what? In the film industry, <laughs> Yeah, I think you you do encounter a lot of people who are ego driven and quite self centric, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with being motivated, but um, but I cannot stand people who are sort of so selfish and self aggrandizing that to think everything they say is is biblical. You know what I mean? And and they're always right. And you're always wrong. I just I have no time for people like that. They're, they're almost like. Yeah, they're like leeches of your energy to just suck you dry and then feck on to the next Egypt that's willing to listen. But, uh, but you'll get that. Sure, that's life. We Have we had someone like that on before? before? They do, like, suck the life out of you, man. Oh, Jared, Jared Walsh. Couldn't stand that guy. In <laughs> that one guy, Paddy, man. Fucking. <laughs> we had one guy who just got on and insulted you for 20 minutes and then left. Yeah, we had a guy, who, a comedian... And it, this is when Dara, it was just me and Dara that did the show together. And it came on, man. And I don't know what it was. I made some kind of joke he didn't like. And fucking for the rest of it, man, he was there going, 
full time, just absolutely like, like <laughs> we're talking about like, it's not like from my girlfriend, and he just goes, like, "You have a girlfriend." I'm like, ah, ah, here, oh, <laughs> he's calling Dara Elvis and shit. Calling Dara is like, I want to be Elvis actor who's never gonna be good enough. And I wonder his parents don't love him. But then wow. he's like, and haha, Thomas is also there. You know, what despicable stuff. <laughs> Asshole. He's, uh, also, he's not funny. No, he's not funny at all. Um, don't even know why we had him on. The episode's not even up anymore. We've had a couple what? people get on. <laughs> you know what? It's the unfunny comedians that are actually the funny ones. There's nothing more funny than watching a comedian up there absolutely bombing, and they're getting heckled out of it. It's just, it's, it's, it's art. <laughs> You're a fan of that, are you? It's cringy. I don't usually like cringe, but um. But just somebody that's arrogant that thinks they're funny, um, and then you see that they're not quite funny. It's actually funny to watch. Um, you know someone exactly like that? It's Jimmy Fallon comes off as so Jimmy Fallon. The Jimmy show. Fallon. Yeah. Yeah. The talk show guy. Yeah, the talk show guy. It comes off as like so unfunny, and everything he has is just it's like written down from, like even yeah. his. Everything, man, is just so scripted. It feels so unnatural, that joke, sometimes. But you know what? You get found out. And the, the beauty of YouTube, and I hope they never lose the Freedom of Speech Act on YouTube for the comments underneath it. You look at the comments under all the Jimmy Fallon videos. They're fucking hilarious, man. They just, they just call him out for being... Like, I don't mind Jimmy Fallon if he would just relax and be himself. But this kind of fake laugh and uh, trying to... Um, you know what? Look... We're dogging everyone out here. We might as well keep going where we're at. Yeah, go on. You know, one other person, right? I used to always be a fan of Will Smith. Love Will Smith from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air days to his movies. Great movies, Independence Day and iRobot and whatnot. Well, I can't stand him in um, interviews because he's got this artificial laugh. And you can tell that there's pain behind those eyes, behind that fake laugh. Like, Will, relax. Be yourself, man. You don't have to put on a performance for everyone. We get it. You're a human being. Just, I, I, just, I can't stand watching his, his interviews because you're not getting the real human being. You're getting this, this facade of this happy-go-lucky kind of a very politically aware kind of a character. And it's like, fine, fair enough. You're thinking of your audience and your market and all that. But you love to see guys like that with their guard down, not playing up to the cameras and just being themselves and it goes back to these podcasts is why we love podcasts is because people are unfiltered. They're not really thinking about what, you know, PR would advise them to say. They're just saying what comes well, to mind. It's very difficult to get actors to be honest when we have yeah. them on. I, yeah. I, I'd imagine so. Yeah. We, we even had one now and their, their PR team sat in. During the interview. Like you're joking. Me. It, well, it was like, like, not, not, the, not the shit on them. Like, no, no, no. But like, in it case they had hard. anything they wanted taken out or so on, it was there. Oh, big my name. God. Oh, my but God. But yeah, they it, it is pretty in. weird when they sit in. They just sat in. They're like, muted their mic, didn't have their camera on. You know, podcast ended. They're like, is that okay? And they were like, yeah, that's perfect. And it just felt so... Uh... You know what? I'd make allowance for a certain profile of a person. Let's say if they were a very high-profile politician mm. or somebody that they might say something politically inaccurate, and fair enough, you might want to delete it or remove it because it might it might have different implications. But if you've got a an actor who's not an A-lister, that's not world famous, 
and it sends, and then they have their PR sitting in trying to uh, censor what might be said. Give me a break, man. What is that about? Have you had anything like that? Have I which? Have you had to deal with stuff like that? Uh, I don't think I'm in the industry long enough to have enough stories to be cynical about it, but I, I've definitely run into people and yeah, I, I've ran into people who want their agents sitting in on conversations. I'm like, look, we're wow. talking about a project here. We're not talking about contracts. Um, yeah, I've no time for that. And to be honest, you try and sniff those people out as early as possible and try and avoid them because if you're going to get trouble in the development of a project with them, chances are you're going to face a shitstorm of trouble with them in a time when it's too late, you know, you kind of have to roll with the punches at that stage. So one, one thing I'm fairly okay at at this stage is sniffing out the gobshines and, um, you know, because I'm not in this industry to, um, to pander to the egos, nor am I in this to be, be rich or famous. I, just, I want to enjoy what I do, and this is why I do it. I love doing it. And as soon as you have to work with somebody that are so egocentric, it becomes work, man. And I, I have no time for that. It's, um, no time for work? <laughs> I, I, I don't want to work, no. If I wanted to work, I'd go and get myself a nine-to-five job and it's a steady income. But I don't want to work. I don't feel like this is work for me. It's like I get to play the whole time and, yeah. and DOS and um, procrastinate and whatever else. And it's great every industry. now and again. I'll get more of it. Yeah. Um, what's that question on there? Yeah. Well, are you are you working on anything at the moment? Actually, skip that one. We'll go back to that in a second. But we're twenty two minutes in, and we haven't talked about your backstory. <laughs> how did how did you get into film? Oh my god. Um. You know it, it's, it's it's inspirational. Like this is the reason. Really? Like, uh, I love what you do so much. Well, honestly, lads, I I get, I got into it out of boredom at one point. I was in, when I was 17, I was in a bad car crash and I was paralyzed. I was told I was never going to walk again. And I, I just, at one particular point in my life, I didn't quite know where I was going to go, what I was going to do, what I was ever going to be capable of doing. Um, my only motivation at that time was to actually walk again. So I was obsessed with trying to figure out different ways of how to heal my body and walk again, despite the fact that the MRI scan said my spinal cord was severed. And, and that was that. But um, so in a kind of a weird way, I went on this. Well, first of all, right, after I was in the crash at 17, I went to Dunleary Rehabilitation Hospital for a year. And then after that year, there was another maybe year and a half or two years of, of in and out of hospital rehabilitation and all that. So about three years of rehabilitation after the crash, right? So if you can imagine like a young brain and 17 years of age and you're missing out on chasing women and playing football and pool and whatever else with the lads, uh, my imagination, I mean, it was always active. But after the crash, I found that in a kind of weird way, I always kind of say like my body had switched off and my imagination had switched on. I suddenly found myself, I suddenly found that if I even sit there still and just think for a minute or 
lying in bed, going to sleep, my imagination was just just more lucid, more colorful and vivid. And um, it was like, yeah, you know, when you suppress sensations in one area of the body, other sensations become sort of amplified. And that's kind of what happened with my imagination. And so during that three years of trying to walk again, I sort of got lost down a rabbit hole of movies and music. And I had a laptop at the time and I'd watch DVDs on it. And I was actually getting to, yeah, I was just addicted to watching movies and listening to music. And during that time, actually, it's kind of, um, I don't want to depress your, your audience now, but um, when I was figuring out, I was starting to learn more about myself, about who I really was behind the identity, behind it, the likes and dislikes of who I thought I was. I, when I went on this for, sort of quest to try and figure out how to walk again, I was reading books like The Celestian Prophecy, A New Earth by, um, I think that was by um, Eckhart Tolle and... Um, I was reading, um, what's his name, Pablo Coelho and all these sort of spiritual teachers. I was reading these books and it was open in my mind and I had met somebody who was involved in Reiki and kinesiology. And I was kind of going down this different kind of road that was completely unexpected, trying to figure out how to heal myself. But what I was actually learning was, as I was going back into myself, I was starting to understand the body and the mind and the spirit and how these three elements of ourselves function and how if one side has been let down the other sides of you will suffer and I realized that the real part of me that needed work at that time wasn't my body although my body was felt broken at the time it was actually my mind that needed reconfiguring and um, so I went down like I said I went down this rabbit hole of trying to figure out who I was and the the amazing thing about spirituality or going on this quest for sort of like self-discovery is that human beings are like onions, right? We've got all these different layers of ideas and identities and idealisms and whatever else. And the more you get to the core of yourself, the more you peel back these layers and almost illusions of what life is and who you are and what people are. And, and I got to the core of myself and I started to find that I was becoming more comfortable and confident in myself. And there was actually, my mantra at the time was, was who am I? That was my, that was the fuel in my engine. I was trying to figure out who I was because I wanted to be able to discover this power of healing myself and healing my spinal cord so I could walk again. And the funny thing was, lads, I, I was kind of embarrassed and even ashamed of the fact that I, I was now what I considered a cripple. Um, I didn't want to see reflections of myself. I didn't want to see a guy in a wheelchair looking back at me. I just didn't want to identify with that because as far as I was concerned at that age, I, like I, I, I didn't have a healthy perspective on what a person with a disability actually was. I just thought I didn't want to be that. And But the more I got to know myself and the more I went on this journey into myself, the more I realized, I was like, hold on there. I was actually starting to believe these kind of lies that society was telling me that I was useless and that I was a cripple and that I was not good for much and there was there's only a certain amount of things I'd be any good for in life and and um and I started to realize that was a sort of a 
I just, I don't know, I could smell the bullshit in it all. And I, I just started to, in a weird kind of way, and I say this and I kind of get kind of embarrassed even saying it, but I actually started to fall back in love with who I was. And it took, it, it took I don't know, maybe it took about six or seven months, but I eventually had the confidence to sit in front of the mirror and look myself in the eye and actually be proud of the reflection staring back at myself. And the more I got to the confidence to do that and the more I delved into myself, I started to realize that there was, there was actually nowhere I couldn't go and there was nothing I couldn't feel in my imagination. And um, that was contrary to what I was being told by doctors and neurologists. And I actually realized that I could still access the full spectrum of the emotional experience. And not just that, but some of my experiences were actually almost like they were, they were amplified. They were even more intense than they were prior to my, my crash. So the weird thing was, lads, it actually happened during a time when in the village here in Clonbelow, we lost two very close friends to us. In fact, one of them was a, was a girl that she was my first kiss, my first love, if, if you like. I don't even know if it's love at that age when you're a kid, but puppy love or whatever, but we lost this girl to suicide. At this particular time in my life, when I was actually starting to rediscover who I was and fall in love with who I was, yet the whole world was looking at me with sympathy. And it was like this poor Patty, oh God, love him, God help him, his life must be shit because he's in the wheelchair. Yet I was feeling fucking happy out. I was like, what are you talking about, man? The experience I'm having here now is as good as I ever had in my life. And then this girl suicides. And not only that, but another friend of mine in, in my class as a kid, two weeks later, suicided in the village. And we were like, just everyone here in the village was stunned. We were devastated. And we all started to ask ourselves some serious questions. And... I think the reason I got so angry at that point was here I was getting all of the sympathy from everybody, yet two young people in the whole of their physical health, on the surface, it looked like they had their whole lives ahead of themselves and they were gone, dead, finished. That was it. And they fell through the cracks of society because we as a society, we, we actually judge people on face value. That seems to be the currency in our world today is that you are judged on your appearance. People will look at you and they will assume that they know what your life is like. Whether you're, I don't know, black, Asian, whatever, whether you're obese, whether you have a disability or whatever, we have these sort of in inherent predetermined judgments on who people are uh, based on the society that we live in. And I was like, fuck that shit. I was like, the world out there that's telling me who I am has no fucking idea who I am. And it was up to me at that point in my life to actually say, hold on there now. If I want to be treated a certain way in my life, it's up to me to stand up for myself. And that's what I did in, a, in an ironic, metaphoric kind of way. I stood up for myself. I, I said, right, I loved film and music. I said, what's the most powerful medium in the world today? that could help me convey anything I want to say in my life to other people. Well, media, multimedia, whether it's lyrics, songs, poetry, podcasts, and whatever it is you're doing, you have an opportunity there to influence people, not just here in Ireland, but the far side of this globe instantly. 
And that's an incredible power to have in this day and age. And you know what? If I'm only going to be on this earth for the next five years or the next 55 years, there's an opportunity for me to maybe share some of my own personal experience on this world and maybe in the process impart a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of education, all the while maybe even entertaining people. And I think media is, is the way to do that. And in that selfish, ego-driven kind of way, I decided I'm going to write songs, I'm going to make movies, and I'm going to inject a little bit of myself into these stories. And then hopefully one day, one person or a hundred people or a million people might be able to get to see, listen, or hear what I might do and maybe be entertained or inspired or educated a little bit. And if I can do that, man, my purpose here in life is fulfilled. I feel that I have a, a real good reason to be alive. And what happened when I was in that crash and I was told I'd never walk again was I felt that the world had just took all purposes out of my life. And I was just left there sitting thinking, well, where to now? Where to, like, what the fuck is the point in living if you don't have a purpose? And somehow over the next couple of years, you know, weirdly enough, it was through my, my dedication to actually walking again, I ironically discovered much more than the ability to walk again. I actually said I, I discovered the ability to fly because I know even to this day, and it, which is like 22 or three years later, I, I can't just walk. I, there's nothing, literally there's nothing I cannot do and there's nowhere I cannot go within the realms of my imagination. And physically, I can go where I want to as well. It just, my, my way of getting from A to B is a little more unconventional than others. That's the only difference. There is, I am more able in my life than anybody else in my life. There's, there's no one I ever look at and think, fuck, if only I had what they have. I have it all here. None, it's, I, I'm a billionaire up here and I have access to, I have access to all of the emotion, the full spectrum of emotions are up here. I have a free chemist up here. I've never done drugs in my life. And some people might think, are you sure, Patty? Are you sure? Because sometimes I wonder what you're smoking. I have never even smoked a cigarette in my life. And I don't need to because I've, I can just tap into it here, man. I can get high as a fucking kite up here on my own supply. And uh, it's free and it's healthy and it's organic. And um, yeah, so uh, yeah. Long story short, lads, I um, that's what got me into filmmaking. This is why I'm here chatting with you because I believe I have an opportunity to maybe tell a story and maybe somebody will hear that story and be inspired. And if I can do that, man, I don't care if I never get paid for doing this job. In fact, I very rarely ever get paid for doing this job. I'd happily do it for the rest of my life because it gives me a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose and I have a reason to get up out of bed in the morning. Happy days. I hope that's answered your question. It's <laughs> <clears throat> a lot to take in for a second time. And oh, well, yeah. uh, do you understand why I think it's so incredible? Yeah. So man, find your purpose. By the sound of things, you lads are finding your purpose. And very early as well, because you're, I don't mean this in a patronizing kind of way, but these are 20, 20 years of age. Man, your life has not even begun yet. 
it's only the start of it and I'm, I'm excited for you. Actually, I was looking, Jared, you're an archer. I am. And a champion archer. archer. I am, yeah. So you're pretty shit hot at what you do. Yeah. I so, enjoy it. I enjoy what I do. Forgive me, Thomas, I didn't snoop on your profiles. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> get a chance to snoop on But if you don't mind me asking, how did you get so good and what inspired you to be an archer? Um... So my, my dad started archery with his friend because he used to wear soft and he turned 40 and said, okay, maybe I can't do airsoft as as good as I could. I'll try <laughs> archery. So himself and the friend go, dad gets really into things, so he gets the bow, whatever. Uh, eventually the friend kind of drops in and out of archery. So he's like, shit, I have all this gear. Um, okay, I have a, I think I was 13 at the time, of a 13-year-old at home. Get him out of the house. I, I just quit doing kickboxing. Or no. No, I hadn't yet. I was still doing it. But I said, oh, we'll give, we'll give this a go. So we go out, start shooting. Love it. It just, it just it's a great feeling. Um, at the time, we only shot 3D targets. So targets look like animals. Like, it's like fake hunting. Because um, you can't bow hunt in Ireland. Mm. So give that a go. Um, just a while later, the whole family gets involved. Because, you know, you can't have your own thing. <laughs> no, everyone family, tried it. Family that kills deer together stays together. Yes, so every everyone loved it. Everyone got into it, <clears throat> and um, we just got in with a, with a good crowd in archery. And um, after doing it for a whole two years, we decided to fund ourselves to go to a world championship, and we all came borderline last. I was the only one who came last in my section. Thirty-two guys. I was thirty-second. Now, got time out here. I'm going to pause the recording. We're going to be back in a second. And we're back. Um, got a lovely call there. It was from Thomas's mom. Um, so the story with the uh, coming 32nd out of 32 lads. Great start. Great start. Um, I think at the worst. I think my dad being the highest, he was like 100 and something out of 100, or out of 200 guys. So quite good. Um, but like at the time, I'm shooting like a wooden bow. Um with like car really heavy carbon arrows that were designed for compound bows so like super fast they're designed to be super fast and out of a wooden bow they're fucking slow so I, I was i was fucked from the get-go my arrows would go and then drop like stones so nothing i could do there and i was, I was shooting the wrong bow for my category shit like that so <clears throat> it's whatever you keep going along with it um I w we don't go away for a while we do a couple irish championships um, I, I I win a few. I've I've won them since I since I joined, and then we go off do one in the UK. Thankfully, win. So I'm thinking I'm fucking big shot when I'm sitting there, probably 14 at the time. Like oh yeah, shot in the UK. Um, we did that a couple of times. We've got the three of them. Done well in three. Um, eventually we just kept going to the Europeans. Came um, came third in the Europeans, and I, I I fucking fell on top of the world at the time. Oh, so, how many competitors? Um, my category was eighteen guys, if I remember right. <laughs> but um, I I was very happy with that. Um, nothing happens for a while. More Irish stuff, more UK stuff. We go and do a world championship off in off in uh, South Dakota. And I, uh, 
became the world champion that year, so I was wow. delighted. Um, but yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do with it now because I don't really practice the same. I shoot in college and I don't know. I might do something when Hawkeye comes out, which is like fairly <laughs> soon. I might just do a couple archery videos because I have like a fuck ton of stuff. You don't just rock up to the game, go in there and win a world championship. Like you must have worked your ass off. Um, I was in the best shape I ever was. I was ever in. I was fucking jacked, 145 pounds of just shooting. I looked ridiculous. Like my legs were super skinny because you don't use them for archery. But like my back and my fucking arms. Yeah. So you're like a uh, Beyonce Wilder. A bit like him. Yeah. <laughs> or you, you ever see McGregor when he like kind of poses, like he puffs out the chest and the arm. I looked like that, just at 145. Um, so you must have practiced day in day out. Yeah, a couple hundred arrows a week. Or t- wow. Yeah, you if you got you just be just under a hundred every day, um, you'd be all right. So but, you were obviously motivated. Yeah, um, okay. I, I get obsessive with the shit I do, and archery was one of those things. I would just, I would change every setting on my bow. You think bows are pretty simple, but no, I I change everything to try to get the thing I was going for right. Any advantage I could get. The reason I did so well in the Europeans was. Because I'm Irish. And it rained like hell. And the other guys don't shoot in the rain in your, in mainland Europe. And on the last day, I was in fourth place. And I was losing... I, I like did incredible the first day, but I was losing third place very fast. And on the last day, I was in fourth, fourth place and started to lash. We're in Germany. I, f- I think... It, yeah, pretty sure it was Germany. And... Or Austria. But um, it fucking pisses rain... And the lads are doing terribly as a result. Like they, their strings aren't whacked, so like the waters get into them, fucking them up. Um, and yeah, they, they're just not used to shooting in the rain. Over here, that's every fucking day, and it, it works my advantage. So, oh. well, congratulations, man. To, Thank you very much. To, to experience success at such a young age is probably rare, but. It's nice to hear that you've earned it. You didn't just walk in like some freak of nature and just kick ass. I mean, you you had to work for every every bit of it. You know that kind of way. Yeah, um, I, I I have very little natural talent for archery. Like I'm shit. I want him out of practice. So, I, I believe that if you can be brilliant at one thing, I think you can be be brilliant at most most everything else. I think once you've got the intellect and the, the capacity and the hunger and the drive, I think there's nothing you cannot do if you don't set your mind to it and put in the hours. Yeah. Um, I think Roy Keane, Roy Keane, I'd be a big fan of Roy Keane's now, and he he will attest to, to that as well. He always says that he could have been, you know, he was, in my opinion, Roy Keane, and I'm a Liverpool fan, so it, it doesn't pain me to say this, but I think <laughs> Roy, Roy Keane during that particular time, the late 90s to the early 2000s was unplayable. I think he was the greatest midfielder in world football for a long time. I think he's even still underrated in the in the sort of history books of, of Manchester United legends. I think Roy Keane is still underrated. And he he will say that there's there's nothing he couldn't put his mind to and be brilliant at if you're determined enough to do it. Because um, I, know, I know this is your podcast now. I feel like I'm turning the mic back on you as well. Like, yeah. Tom, <laughs> Thomas is run like that you've been known to do or 
anything like or any aspirations along those lines or even in this industry? I don't know, man. I've always talked about like uh I don't really like the entertainment aspect that I that exists in Ireland right now. Kind of like I don't they're not doing anything that I'm impressed with, to be honest, man. Like most of our TV shows in Ireland are made by British companies or they're made by like <laughs> Not that well. Uh, what's his name is doing really good stuff. What's his name? The guy Darren Conway came out of nowhere. Yeah. He's doing great yeah. stuff right now. Dude, still, like I, well, he showed up one day with eighty thousand followers and just yeah. fucking went with it. <laughs> like yeah. you know, everyone just started started seeing this guy out of nowhere. Incredible. <laughs> yeah, you know the the format's changing and the audience, the access to the audience is changing and the TVs are trying to catch up with social media. So the like of Darren Conway, I think he's brilliant, and his his partner there in crime, I can't think of his name. Joseph now. McCookin. I mean, they they play off each other brilliantly. Mm. They're, they're just a brilliant comedy duo. But um, but their audience is was organically found through the social media, Facebook and Instagram and that, and the TV stations just can't figure out how to get in on that. You know what I mean? Mm. And I don't think you can even replicate that. They'll probably. And I hope they do go on to produce a TV show and make millions because they deserve to make some money at the back of it. But man, if you can cut straight to your audience directly on your own platforms, happy days. Um, I mean, imagine, imagine having a social media platform where there's a few million people following you and you go on there and post something and there's 300,000 people liking it. What a what a position of influence. I mean, you can be an arsehole or you can be inspirational or whatever, but you're in such an important position of influence that you've got the power to potentially make somebody's day or break somebody's day. It's an incredible time we're living in, man, where everyone has that access. I think, what was it uh, Ronaldo did during a press conference? Didn't he, like, take a bottle of Coke off the desk and suddenly Coke lost 4 million shares of their company. Like people sold Coke to fuck. Yeah, <laughs> 4, like that, billion, like... 4 billion of a of an 80 billion portfolio. So it was a drop in the ocean for Coke. But... It's a good time to buy when someone does shit like that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you can manipulate that story very easily in order for Coke probably make another 14 billion back on it. You know what I mean? It's uh, there's no such thing as bad publicity. People are thinking about Coca-Cola. Even if you're on Ronaldo's side, you're thinking that subconsciously of Coca-Cola. You work your ass off and you run into a shop and you think, oh, I need something. It's it's like it's like Darren Brown, the hypnotist. Mm. You planted yeah. a seed in somebody's brain, they're in the shop. Oh fuck it, I'll get a Coca-Cola. You don't even realize why you bought it, but somewhere subconsciously, that's the power of advertising. So Although I love what Ronaldo did there, he probably sold more Coca-Cola than Coca-Cola sold in that year. You know what I mean? It's a weird old old industry. I got big into Darren Brown during lockdown, man. I watched all his stuff. He's fucking, he freaks me out, man. He's so, like a mentalist. It's crazy stuff. Incredible stuff. Vincent people that take a bullet for people they don't know and then like, yeah. You you know what what impresses me about him and even um, what's his name? What's the other illusionist? The American guy. He talks. Uh, fuck, he was on uh, Rogan there about a year ago. 
You know, the guy the, put the needle through his arm or got Rogan to put the yeah. needle through his arm? Okay. Oh, David, not David Blaine, is it? David Blaine. Blaine what yeah, I, think what I love about him and Darren Brown is the producers of their shows. Mm. Man, the produ- they're producing brilliant shows, brilliant entertaining shows. They just so happen to be working with really good talent. But um, I, yeah, I love the Darren Brown shows. That they're really, um, I mean, the power of suggestion. How influential he can be. And I mean, if you study that, I'd imagine there's a lot of people that get into hypnotherapy for all the wrong reasons, because maybe they can't get a date and the only way to get somebody is by hypnotizing them. You know that kind of way? That wouldn't surprise me, but the power of the mind, man, is is incredibly influential. Weird stuff. It absolutely is. We've had a hypnotist on before and he does hypnotherapy. A lot lot of it is to stop smoking. Is he he single? (laughs) (laughs) I actually don't know. Um, He's 70 odd. I I hope he's not. Um, but yeah, he, he used to work for a guy and he used to like do the same thing, but like he would help him stop smoking and then take their cigarettes under lighter. So he had a collection of cigarettes and lighters and then he started smoking. So one, one time he went out to like have a cigarette after telling a guy not to have a cigarette while he's listening to this audio tape about why he shouldn't have a cigarette. And he goes, has a heart attack during the cigarette. He was fine in the end, but he, he continued smoking. Fuck. Oh. Yeah. So maybe he needed to do the flip in there. Yeah. Jeez, that's fine. That's mad. Yeah. yeah. Thomas, Thomas what, what were you saying? You, you're saying um, you don't like the entertainment industry in Ireland. Oh, yeah. I, just, I want to be part of it, the change, man. I wanted to keep up with the times. Like, RT, man, I have no idea what they're at. Like, they get a lot I, of I money, think, but yeah, they're pretty. Don't. Yeah. I think I've ever watched. An, like, what was that show that they got back a couple of months and it just showed how fucking out of touch there with reality it was the thing with Enda Kenny visiting fucking train tracks in Ireland and I just thought you couldn't get more let's get this ex-politician nobody fucking likes to go have a look at trains for an hour of your time and I just thought well we don't build trains for another decade yeah fucking and I just thought you're so out of touch with it man you've actually no fucking idea that's what I like doing with Darren right now or say something like even like I don't even say any good Irish TV shows. They're all BBC or Channel Four, like Young Offenders or Derry Girl. Even what's what's a cowboy call it, Jared? Like wanky people, normal people. Wank, yeah, normal people. <laughs> you know, Jared Walsh called it wanky people, didn't he? No, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a cowboy from Hardy the books. Hardy Books. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> love those guys. Actually, Eddie Durkin put out something today um, about getting it back on RT. Yeah, like and it, it's done really well. Like I seen it posted when it came out, it had no views, gave it no like and no thumbs up. And then I, I go on Instagram later and it has a thousand views, a thousand likes, or yeah, a thousand likes, not a thousand views. And um, I hope that fucking keeps going because that is such a good fucking show. Mm. Season five, Karate books. books. Did they not start off as a web series on YouTube or something? First web series to make it to a movie. Mm. There you go, man. It's um. Yeah, see, the, the, it's sort of a tectonic shift in how shows get made nowadays, is that, see, the thing about these um, TVs, like RT, BBC, they're sort of um, state-funded, you know, it's, it's taxpayers' money and that kind of stuff, and it's, they're sort of, they're kind of, their hands are tied in many ways, they're, they're sort of, 
there's certain stuff that they have to put out, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the news, for example. And there's a lot of, they tailor a lot of their content to sort of an older generation, a traditional audience that will go to the TV. They're not your young audience that are more internet centric, TikTok y, you know, that kind of thing. So where you see shows like The End of Kenny, I bet you that show, I didn't even see it, but I bet you that show got the numbers because there'll be a lot of a generational thing where there'll be a lot of people curious as to see what that gobshite is up to and what's he like outside of the realm of politics, you know what I mean? That's not going to appeal to you or me, but I can promise you it's got numbers. Otherwise, they wouldn't have... RT don't commission something unless they already know. They do their market research. They know that it's going to tick the boxes for a certain amount of people, you know. Have have you had any dealings with RT? I have, yeah. And my limited experience with RT has been positive. But, But I go into the offices, you meet people, and you realize that they are humans behind the the whole the whole sort of shield of what RT is. And it's it's just not for me. I don't want to see myself ever producing a series for RT type things. I just think my hands would be too tied as to what I can say, because you've got, you've got to go through so many sort of political hoops, you know what I mean? Before anything you want to say is gets filtered so much and tailored to, to the audience nobody ever wants to offend anybody or nobody wants or he don't want to be sued by anybody by upsetting anybody else and i don't think that's the kind of world that i want to be tied into you know what i mean if you don't um, take risks you're going nowhere and they really are like rock bottom at the moment yeah yeah no they they, they will put out the content but they're not going to change the game they're not going to revolutionize what we're looking at and how we're going to look at it it's um it's the internet is the place to be for that or, or phone devices and that kind of stuff and even streaming platforms I, I know netflix and amazon prime and apple tv and that they do get a lot of stick but to be honest they're keeping an industry afloat right now the netflix is that they're employing millions of people now they're they're churning out so much content and to be fair to them a lot of the original series are actually pretty watchable um, I think we have this habit of looking back through rose-tinted glasses and saying, oh, remember all the shows of the 70s and 80s, how great they were and how fearless they were. And actually, no, even back in the day, they were very, you know, they were formulaic and they were telling us what was trendy at the time and they weren't pushing any boundaries at all. It's just that we look back in them through romantic eyes and, and the nostalgic feeling that we would have got from watching some kind of show. But no, I... I've, um, like, during lockdown, I started to delve into, like, some of this content on Netflix, for example. And granted, about 90% of it on Netflix is not to my taste. But by God, you can definitely find stuff that you can watch and actually be entertained by. And um, so I think it's a good time. I think we're, like, it's interesting you say, Thomas, you, you kind of want to be careful with what you get associated with or what, what you want to create because you don't want to go down that road of doing the same old formula shite that's, you know, sort of graveyard stuff. But um, Wooden spoon. Yeah. It's like, potato. Yeah, stuff thing. like that. Yeah. Fucking I mean, mammy can... comedy stuff. Yeah, I hate you ever that. see those videos like your Irish mammy comedy, man? It is the lowest form <laughs> of Irish humor. It's so fucking lazy, but it'll always get views. Oh, look at me. Irish mammy didn't turn off the immersion, didn't freeze the... T- 
you know, yeah, yeah, spoon, potatoes. Good. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a meme. Leprechaun. It, it's <laughs> just it's crazy. Can't stand it, man. And if I see anything like it, man, I'll, I'll turn it off. And even sometimes, man, I even might block the comedian making it because I'm like, you're not, funny. <laughs> <laughs> you're not a funny. He's never getting a second chance. Never. And I don't. Yeah, yeah make care. sure that, that algorithm doesn't start fucking wrecking your head. Thomas, no, have you heard man. of this guy, Darren Conway? I've been blocked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I blocked him about six years ago. Uh, you know what? I I'm actually conscious of the fact that I mentioned the name Taylor Swift earlier, and I mentioned that name again now, and I'm going to be hammered by fucking recommendations now on YouTube. Facebook and everything else, and I, I'm going to have to go in and report every one of them because that's what I do. I report anything that re- that's recommended to me that I really despise. I don't just say not interested. I report it as spam because I want them to make sure that they never darken my door again. You know what I mean? Because really, hey Taylor Swift, who's your cup of tea? Be say. Well, I I am proud to say that I cannot tell you the name of any Taylor Swift. Swift song or album, and I hope it, it never changes. And listen, that is, is that kind of content is good for a particular audience, but it's just not for me because you can see straight past it. You can see that there is absolutely no. No, I, I shouldn't sit here and criticize Taylor Swift. She's made her money. She's world famous. No, no, no. She can take it. She's rich. She can she, afford the counseling. Go on. But, but. I think mainstream art like that, and I even feel weird calling it art, mainstream product produce like that. You've got a team of writers coming together, asking themselves, okay, how can we appeal to the broadest spectrum, the broadest demographic here? And they'll put all these ingredients into a pot. Well, we need to appeal to this demographic. We need to appeal to this gender. We need to appeal to that race. We need to appeal to... And what you end up getting is this watered down version of this mediocre formulaic garbage that has got no substance at all, but it's just fucking laced with these horrible superficial jingles that might appeal to the superficial senses. And and that's why you've got 13 year old hormonal kids falling over themselves to buy this shit because they can relate, man. But for anyone that's, that's, that's long enough in the two to realize that there's actually no soul in any of this produce, you realize you're not going to learn anything about yourself. You're not going to be really inspired or motivated by any of that mainstream junk because that's all it is. It's there to fucking fill a gap on the radio station for two and a half minutes and that's that. Move on. And uh, so, yeah. Anyway, I've been giving out a lot today, but... Um, you know what it is? I'm on an antibiotic and I'm a little bit aggravated and I just took out the knives and started fucking attacking everybody. <laughs> oh, man. But listen, okay. we are living, contrary to what everyone says, that we're, we're living in, the, this is probably the best period in the history of entertainment for, for such a broad spectrum of, of, of like sort of content out there for you to to to, to find or, or to fall in love with and people say well they don't create music like they used to we do create music like we used to it's just harder to find you just kind of need to know where you're looking and the good thing about spotify the one good thing about spotify i know spotify fuck artists up and down the country up and down the world our money but it has a good recommendation algorithm where if you like somebody on Spotify, 
it will recommend another 10 albums similar to that. So you find artists on Spotify that you may never in a million years have found, and you suddenly find yourself listening to some brilliant artists from South Africa. Uh, so that kind of thing is good. But we still have the Nina Simones and the Etta Jameses and the Al Greens and the, the Marvin Gaye's. They're still out there creating that content. And they're doing it by the bucket load. It's just a little harder to find it because the corporations that have a monopoly on the industry are not putting it front and center in the limelight, you know what I mean? So the, right now our media is, and the music industry got a complete free pass during the whole hashtag Me Too movement. They just, we just look beyond the music industry, but the music industry has been selling sex for the last 30 years. So any of the music artists you see today that are more or less number ones in the charts over the last five, 10 years, it's that sexual appeal and it's that, that drug appeal and that drink appeal culture, you know what I mean? Um, so it, it's, it's much harder for artists that are not quote unquote sexy or quote unquote cool or quote unquote rebels that are able to flog their wares in the mainstream because the corporations don't know how to market that stuff, you know what I mean? Guy out here laying bombs. <laughs> Careful now, you can't use the buzzwords like that because they'll tap your phone and suddenly. Uh, <laughs> sure, man, they're already tapping our phones. I know. <laughs> oh, who do you think was calling me? Uh, <laughs> you tell Paddy to keep his but damn no, mouth closed. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> you, you are right, though. Um, like, some people just get, get passes and they're not exactly innocent, but who is like. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's people doing it, like, not robots no matter how removed it is just people and sometimes they get to hide behind a corporate identity and be a lot more selfish about it but yeah yeah like you said with rt like they're just people back there and they better get rt back they better get hardy bucks on asap or else <laughs> yeah. riots um yeah. you, you know said oh, I, I think just people fall into a trap of like familiarity um, you know, it's what they know, it's what they do, it's easy, and it maybe provides a steady income and keeps the wolf from the door. And that's why you've got a lot of people that wake up after 50 years of a career and realize that they were just existing. They didn't really get to do, take the risks that they initially got in involved in art to do because life has its way of sabotaging your dreams. You know what I mean? You, you, you fall in love, you get married, you have children, and suddenly you have responsibility. So it's it's not so easy for people to always be out there breaking the mold, you know what I mean? I kind of feel for anyone that does fall into that trap. And, you know, I'm one of the lucky few is, I, like, I'm single by choice. I, I don't have a family or kids, per se. I have a responsibility to my family in, in that kind of way, but but I also have the freedom to be able to go down a rabbit hole and and get lost in a project for six months to a year. Uh, and I don't have to worry. I'm very lucky where I don't have, have the, the council knocking on my door. I don't have the bank looking for a mortgage. So I'm safe in that way. So a lot of people in the industry, a lot of friends of mine are at the mercy of these responsibilities and they don't have the freedom to follow their dreams in the way that they initially hoped they would, you know? So I kind of feel bad for people like that, but Sorry, you, you were saying there, there. Um, I was going to ask, because I asked earlier, what, what are you working on at the moment? 
Um, we're working at the minute. I'm actually working on a script for my next feature called Reverse. And it's the toughest motherfucker I have ever encountered. I have never found it so hard to write a script in all my life. And in the last 15 years, I'd say I've written maybe hundreds of short and long scripts. But this one is so close to the bone that I find that I'm confronting emotions, personal emotions in the script, that uh, I find myself feeling almost weak certain times where I have to sit down and sort of re research a scene or, or, or write out a scene or that kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh, fuck, this is heavy. I'm not quite sure I'm in the mood to do it today. So it's been a very slow process. So in the midst of writing this script for my next feature, uh, I'm also developing um, a documentary with a, a good friend, Ben Forsyth. Um, ben is a filmmaker, but he's an ex-MMA uh, professional fighter. Extraordinary guy. I actually met him on a podcast. He was doing the Eight Corner Coffee like podcast. Uh, brilliant guy. And he talking about everything from sports to, to um, ayahuasca, <laughs> you know, and... Um, so we, we sort of, we decided down through the last couple of years, we've become friends and we're going to produce a documentary. And the documentary is about me. You know, the way I mentioned earlier on, I've never taken a drug in my life other than uh, tablets. That were, <laughs> honest to God, I, I've never taken a drug that wasn't already prescribed to me by a doctor. Right? The only mind-altering substance I've taken in my life is alcohol. But alcohol is sort of, so ingrained in our culture that we don't really consider it a mind-altering substance. It's just having the crack. But I've never taken drugs of any sort. And in this documentary, I'm going to go with Ben to a six-day retreat in the Netherlands where we're going to do a, 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 a sort of a psilocybin psychedelic retreat. And I'm going to be subjected to the power of psychedelics and see if I can... Um, See if I can untangle some of the old trauma that's sitting up here in my mind that's been there for the last 25 years since the car crash. Because I still do, although I consider myself to be one of the most confident and, and happy and content people I know, I still have a lot of unhealed trauma from that crash. And some of the most predominant emotions I experienced during that crash was... Um, um, grief uh, i felt like I, I felt like my old life had died even all of the friends and the circle and the, the social lifestyle i had all of that died that day and it changed and i felt I was, I was grieving for that there was also rejection a lot of people were rejecting me because of my disability and looking at me differently there was a sense of shame because i didn't put on my seatbelt and all this so a lot of these emotions I've sort of lived with over the last 25 years and it's only through the examination of this new script reverse that I'm working on. I've actually come to the conclusion that I still have a, a lot of on trauma and I'm hoping that this psilocybin retreat in the Netherlands will show me a different way to untangle those emotions and heal them and move on from them. Because it has had an effect on my life in different kind of subtle kind of ways, even, even when it comes to relationships. Even recently, I'm not embarrassed to say this, but I've, you know, 
I, I was in something with a girl recently and I found this, this ugly, insecure monster rise up in me. And I was like, whoa, where is this coming from? And this sense of, am I good enough? And this like sense of imposter syndrome was like, when this is a gorgeous looking woman, why would she be, you know, all these kind of weird voices going off in your head thinking, where is this coming from? Because I would consider myself to be as, as good, if not better than most people doing what they're doing right now. I still have a lot to learn as a writer and a director, but I firmly believe that I can be as good, if not even better than some of the great directors of their time. I can say that with no arrogance that if I put in the time, I can get there if, if I put, you know, with, with the right. And suddenly I'm in a, this thing situation with a woman and like, suddenly I've, I'm fragile again and I'm weak and I'm, I'm it's a poor me kind of thing. So all of this ugliness rose up and I, I was thinking, where did this come from after so long? So we have this amazing ability to be able to stand up and be strong and move forward in our lives. But at the same time, even subconsciously, unbeknownst to us, we carry this baggage, this emotional weight with us. And it steers us in the most subtlest kind of ways. And I've just, during lockdown over the last year and a half or whatever, I've started to look back in on myself and I started to realize that actually, lads, there's a lot of things I've been doing that have been almost a, a, a byproduct of some of the emotional trauma I had as a young lad, you know? So I think I just want to now, at this stage of my life, I want to try and heal that. And I think in this documentary, we're going to go on this mad psychedelic journey to see if I can heal myself. And if not, say la vie, but if, if, if I can, then brilliant. Psychedelics is the future for me. Uh, well, so I yeah, hope, hope it goes well for you. <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, one way or another, man, the documentary might be shite, but it'll be a trip. <laughs> Literally and figuratively. Yeah, that could be like an awful bad trip or <laughs> literally, or it could be. But you know what? Okay. I think these substances have a way of, depending on how you're feeling, I, you ever see where some people can drink and get drunk and be happy, and some people can get drunk and be absolute aggravated and angry sons of bitches. And I think sometimes a substance like that can maybe bring out what's sitting in there dormant that you don't really express in a way that you should healthily. So I, I don't think it's, if I take a mushroom and I go on this psychedelic trip, I don't think it's going to unearth any anger in me. I don't think I have any anger in me. Um, but I have certainly got some sadness in me, you know. So I want to bring that out and sit face to face with it and ask it some questions and maybe hopefully let it move on from me. I'd love to talk to you again after us. Man, let's, let's do it. Yeah, after this documentary, we'll be promoting it. So we'll come on and uh, use your show as a commercial. Uh, I'm going to have commercial for our documentary. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a wee chat about it. But anyway, we're a while in now. I can see the lights getting dark in everyone's rooms. So it's time to head on, lads. But Paddy, I want to say thank you so much for getting on. Uh, it's a pleasure actually finally talking to you. <laughs> Lads, it's an honor, and I have no idea what we even talked about, but hopefully <laughs> there's something in there that you can use. The whole thing stays in. <laughs> um, that's, that's one thing I'm, I'm very happy with. We, we keep everything. 
But again, thank you so much. We we talked about fucking everything. I'm frozen yeah. right now. So it's great the, crack. The, the timing in this is so good because someone has just come into the studio here. <laughs> so it must be time to go. But lads, okay. keep up the great work. It's great to see he's doing so well. Thanks. Thank, thank you very much. Never mind my frozen face. I'm I'm so delighted I haven't moved. Oh, there we go. But yeah, <laughs> thanks, man. Well, hope, Lander, hope, hope before he's go, come in here. Dude. We're, we're, my, I just want to introduce you to a brilliant singer and songwriter. This is my nephew, David. This is a, a podcast, Dave. We're recording. Oh, wow. <laughs> so uh, when he's putting up the podcast, lads? Oh, this won't be up for about a week. Yeah. Week. Week, we'll let you know. Week. We'll text you. There you go. And this guy does a brilliant version of uh, Damien Dempsey's. What was it? Uh, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, it was in Paddy's film. Yeah. We'll have to Check keep an eye on you. On my Instagram page. Sure. There you go. <laughs> there you go. We just promote uh, the nephew. <laughs> there you go. We'll keep an eye on him. See what he's at. Right. Maybe we'll Absolutely. have him on. All right, lads. Great chatting with you. Have a good one. You too, right? Thanks you very much. All right. Now, just do a quick little thing for the patrons. Your fucking sound. He's your fucking sound. Patrons, thanks a million for supporting us. I hope you enjoyed that wee chat with Patty. Um, definitely eye-opening. Definitely eye-opening. <laughs> Haven't seen that guy when we were like 15 and then having spoken to him now. It's crazy. Um, I actually can't believe we had that conversation. But yeah, thanks a million for supporting us. And if you want to join our patrons and get access to episodes early, the link is below. And if you don't want to do that, you don't, you don't want to fucking send some dosh our way because we don't expect that. But we, what we do expect and we demand is an old follow on the Instagram. That's where the crack is. That's where we're having fun. We're doing a lot of shit on Instagram. And I hate for you to miss it out. So take it handy. Good luck and bye-bye. We love you all.